Yo, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, welcoming you all to another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 130. My goodness, time is flying by, yo, but we've got such an amazing show in store for you guys this week. We're going to break down the Super Bowl matchup in two Sundays, right, between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, and to help me do so, Kelsey Nicole Nelson, she's going to stop by. We're going to break down all the X's and O's, everything you need to know about the NFL. Plus, what's going on with y'all man Odell Beckham? Yeah, we touching on all of that. All that. Plus, I'm going to put my film critic hat on. You understand what I'm saying? Because in the last week, two films or documentaries, however you want to break it down, have been released. And, you know, it's causing a lot of discussion. One of those being... Bad Boys for Life. Y'all know me. My favorite movie of all time is Bad Boys. So I'm going to talk about the second sequel to that film. And if you should, if you haven't already, if you should, go ahead and check it out. Plus, my thoughts on the Aaron Hernandez documentary, man. So we touching everything this week, man. I'm really excited for this week's show. But without further ado, let's get it going with our first topic this week. First quarter. Like I said earlier, we're going to get into championship weekend a little bit later with my guest this week but i want to kind of double back first because what an amazing end to the college football season we had just last week now i wasn't really able to divulge too deep into the game because oh damn it you again huh long time no see armand did you miss me hell nah man damn I thought you were too busy ruining democracy to be bothering me in the show anymore. Of course not. Yes, I've been a bit busy with the good old US of A, but I haven't forgotten about you, Armand. How about those Knicks? <laughs> Fuck you, devil. So what's up, bro, man? You still want me to play devil's advocate this week? Absolutely. This week, I want you to play devil's advocate. On Joe Burrow being the best quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning. Joe Burrow? The best? All right, you know what? We can do that because I was just talking about the national championship game. And I wasn't really able to get into the show last week on the championship game. Because, you know, the show comes out on Tuesday. I didn't want to rush it. But now that I have some time, I mean, I don't know how you watched the game last Monday. Or how you could watch LSU this entire season and not just be completely in awe with Joe Burrow. I mean, the guy is shattering records left and right. Left and right. Last year, he threw 16 touchdown passes to what? Five interceptions this year. It was to 60. It was like 60 to 6. 63 or something to 6. You can't even. I don't even know how you make that, that leap. The only criticism that I could hear about Joe Burrow is one, it was one year, one year sample size. I'm sorry, you guys remember Cam Newton in Auburn? And that worked out pretty well. You can be great for one year, and that's not an indictment. And two, the age. Joe Burrow is what, 25 years old? But in today's day and age in the NFL, where you see Tom Brady, Drew Brees play into their 40s, the age doesn't really bother me that much. Joe Burrow Checked all the boxes, man. He was smart. He manipulated the safeties with his eyes. His arm, while not the strongest, apparently, he can. He's 
it seemed like to be phenomenally accurate. And here's the thing. He can move with his feet and he's not scared to run with his feet. So often these top quarterbacks who all of the experts, quote unquote experts, drool over, they don't run. Or they're afraid to, despite the fact that they have the physical capabilities to be an effective runner. Joe Burrow seems to me like, yo, he's down for it. You know what I mean? Like third and seven. All right, if the pass isn't there, I'll run for the first down and then I'll get out of bounds or I'll get down and keep myself safe. Man, sometimes we overthink things too much. And after you watch the historic season that LSU led by Joe Burrow had, particularly in the college football playoffs and the national championship game, man, what else? The only quarterbacks who I could think that you would even put over Burrow in terms of being the best prospect since Peyton Manning is Cam coming out of college. Cam and Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck, I had my questions about. He, he silenced my hype or he silenced my doubts, but he didn't last long. And so too with Cam. And both of those guys are significantly bigger than Burrow. So they felt that they could take more damage. I don't know, man. I think, I think Burrow checks all the boxes. And if you're an NFL team, You'd be foolish, foolish not to have this as a lock with Joe Burrow being your future of the franchise. Nice argument, Armand. Now, do you believe a single word you just said? Hell no, nah, I don't believe any of that. <laughs> Enjoy another losing season in New York. I'll say this. I think Joe Burrow should be the number one quarterback. I don't think I'm not a number one quarterback, it's the number one player taken. And I don't think there's any argument there. But so often we get so caught up in the flavor of the month. Slim, how many times each year, every year, every year, the quarterback taken at the top of the draft is the next greatest since dot dot dot. Since Andrew Luck, since Peyton Manning, since John, whatever the, the, the case may be. Haven't you guys noticed that? Every single year, they did it with Baker. Or actually, they didn't even do it with Baker. They did it with Sam Darnold. They did it with Jared Goff. They do it every single year. They did it with Matthew Stafford. They did. They do this every single year. And oddly enough, the quarterback who always impresses the most. The quarterback who impresses the most is never taking the top of the draft. Lamar Jackson, end of the first round, MVP. The year before, Patrick Bama's on TV now saying that Patrick Mahomes may be the greatest quarterback of all time. And I don't even know if I can argue with him based off of the two years that we've seen from him. And Mitchell Trubisky was taken before him, bro. Mitch Trubisky, another guy who had what? Basically, he had a year and change. Hey, does that not alarm everyone? Like, to me, I'm done with the he's he checks all the boxes that argument. I'm done with the he's the best since that, that, that. I'm done with all of that because I've heard it so much in the past and they've all been wrong. Don't tell me that you that 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 Alex Smith was this great prospect and Aaron Rodgers was taken at the end of the first round. 
Don't tell me 11 years later how great Aaron Rodgers is when almost every single team in the first round passed on him. Don't talk to me about Sam Darnold and Josh. Remember that? Oh, my goodness. Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, all these guys. And uh, have, have we been paying attention? Baker, like all of these guys came out in the same class and Lamar Jackson is the best one doing it his his way. I'm I'm, I'm done with the quote unquote experts, the people who 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 drool over these players. I'm watching I'm watching ESPN last week after the national championship game. So last Tuesday and I'm hearing, oh, my goodness, he's Steve Young. Oh, my goodness. He's can't miss. He's this. He's that. He's a hybrid of Andrew Luck and. And, and this, that, and the third. And I'm like, hold on, bro. He did it for one season. And I'm not taking anything away from Joe Burrow. He deserves to be the number one player taken. If I were a Cincinnati Bengals fan, I'd be ecstatic. But did y'all watch the game on Monday last week? Dog, his receivers were phenomenal. And Clemson has nice defensive backs. And all of them got cooked. All of them. I don't know if AJ Green is coming back. And if he does come back, I don't know how healthy he is. But let's say AJ Green comes back. That's one receiver who can beat everybody. He had a whole squad of Bamas cooking the defending reigning national champions and their elite cornerbacks. He's playing with guys who are just better than everyone else. That doesn't happen in the NFL. It just doesn't. And I don't know, I don't know how much credit goes to Burrow or goes to Brady. Obviously, Burrow had to make the plays. I'm not, again, I'm not taking anything away from the young man. But when there's such a drastic shift from one year to the next, and the only thing that changes is the OC, well, damn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't believe in coincidence, and you shouldn't either. We can praise, and we can project, and we can give all of the accolades in the world to Joe Burrow or any young player. We do this all the time now. All the time. He's the next best this. He's the greatest this. He is this Hall of Fame legend and a mixture of this. No, he's not, Joe. And recent history tells us this. Remember what they said about Sam Darnold. Remember what they said about Baker Mayfield. Remember what they said about Mitch Trubisky. Remember what they said about uh, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan. The list goes on and on and on, Joe. Remember what they say about them. And then remember what they said, if you can even recall, about Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. You know what I'm saying? Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen even. Like what's happening here, bro? Think about look at the look at the best play, look at the best quarterbacks in the league right now. Of the players I just named. Then you have Russell Wilson, third round quarterback. Aaron Rodgers drafted in the end of the first round. Dak Prescott, all these guys who have shown that they are among the best in the league. 
but they weren't top quarterbacks taken. And there was a lot of criticism about their play, their style of play. Dog, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota went one and two. Stop it. I don't want to hear any of the praise and the hyperbole when it comes to these quarterbacks, Slim. It's over. It's over. Do I think Joe Burrow will be a good NFL quarterback? Yes, I do. Do I think Joe Burrow is the next or the best prospect since Peyton Manning? Fuck no. <laughs> what are y'all talking about? Dan Orslowski is talking about Steve Young. Ain't no way. And Steve Young wasn't Steve Young when he came into the Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? But let me hear what you guys think. Do you think Joe Burrow is the next greatest quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning? Or do you think, like me, that we need to just kind of pump the brakes and let the young man play and show what he can do for more than just one season with the most loaded roster possibly ever in college football? I want to hear from you. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at me at quarterlyshow. That's spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. Show. Get involved, man. I want to hear what you guys have to say about this topic or any topic else that you can think of. All right, y'all. That was quarter one. We're going to keep things moving, but we're going to step on the hardwood this week. For quarter number two. Second quarter. And when I was out for those seven weeks and not saying anything and still people are still saying things about me, it's it's inevitable. You know, they crucified Martin Luther King for speaking about peace and social integration. It was, it, you know, you could go back to historical leaders and great people in society that do great things and they're still going to talk it is what it is like i know what i stand for i'm a great family man i have great values core values this basketball stuff is a game at the end of the day <laughs> yo i'm done i am done i th- you know the name of this the name of this episode is called all out of bail and there's going to be a, a, a consistent theme throughout this show i'm out of bail to give bamas joe that was kyrie irving what the day before Dr. King's hot birthday, comparing himself to not only one of the greatest Americans, one of the greatest human beings of all time, but comparing himself to, to just great leaders overall. And not like leaders of like, yo, you really did a great job of leading us in this um, escape room. Or man, you were a great leader in, you know, uh, kickball. Nah, it's not like leaders for real. Like the the true definition of leadership, Kyrie Irving. I'm so sick of this moment, young. <laughs> like I'm I'm out of words. I'm out of bail. I was gonna make this angry man, but I was like, yo, this is too. This is beyond that. Kyrie Irving doesn't need to sit down. He just needs to shut up. You feel me? And honestly, we are all to blame. We have all collectively created a monster with Kyrie Irving. I don't know what is going on with your man. I don't know what's going on with your man inside his head to where like, and like, I understand he was trying to make a point. He just used Dr. He used Dr. King as the vehicle about being crucified. And it's like, what, man, what are you talking about? Nobody, nobody's out to get you, Kyrie. Bama's just highlight your words when you say something stupid. And this is a consistent theme 
for your professional career. Playing with LeBron James has been the gift and the curse for Kyrie Irving because no one can ever take away his shot. No one can ever take away his game six or his game seven in the NBA finals. No one can take away what he meant to that team because, like, I'm not going to try to diminish the man's skill set because his skill set is part of the problem. He is a phenomenal basketball talent. Phenomenal. You know, I've in recent, I guess I shouldn't say days or weeks, It's it's been something that's happened for the last few seasons, but it started to pick up a little bit uh, of steam, the Kyrie Irving to Stephon Marbury comparison. And let me assure you, as someone who saw Starbury up close and personal, Kyrie Irving is significantly better than Stephon Marbury, the basketball player. But the overall point still remains. Phenomenal talent, but for whatever reason, it's just not the juice is not worth the squeeze here. Like let's let's take a walk through Kyrie Irving's career to kind of find out how we got here. You feel me? Because it doesn't make any sense for a dude who should have been humbled off the rip. You know, you go to Duke, one of the premier schools in the country, and you only play, you know, a few games due to injury. So the questions about, man, is Kyrie Irving this? Is Kyrie Irving that? That should have been enough to humble him. And I shouldn't even project that because I have no idea. I don't know the brother. You understand what I'm saying? He comes into the league and you don't hear a word. He's in Cleveland. He's got phenomenal handles. You can see all the potential there. But you know what? It just does not equate to winning. But that does, I can't knock him for that because that's the story for so many players in the league this day. One of the reasons why I'm such a big Ben Simmons fan is because the moment he got, the moment he started playing for Philadelphia, they started winning. One of the reasons why I'm such a big Jimmy Butler fan is that for four teams now, when he leaves, the team that he leaves gets worse. The team that he goes to gets significantly better. I said it in the first quarter. I don't believe in coincidence. So these players, there's some players who are just special, who just immediately impact winning. And then there are the players whom, yo, it takes some time. One of my favorite players in the league, John Wall, he was like that. It took him some time. Carl Anthony Towns, phenomenal basketball player. It's taking him some time. It took Jalen Brown time to get to the point he is now. Donovan Mitchell, so forth and so on. Everybody doesn't have it like that, Joe. So it took Kyrie a minute. It took him a minute, and it just so happened that the moment it seemed that he was growing into uh, being a franchise player, oh, LeBron wants to come back home. So to some degree, I can shoot Kyrie some bail. And in my past, I have. So boom, out of the account, bop, 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 shoot some bail. We good. And then once he starts playing with LeBron, I mean, they go straight to the NBA Finals. I think we all can agree, had Kyrie Irving not been injured in game one of that first NBA Finals, the Cavaliers probably beat the Warriors. LeBron James went six games with Matthew Della Vadova. Matthew Della Vadova got a multi-year contract because 
LeBron made him look nice. You feel me? So I think most of us can agree. Like, you know what? Bet. If Kyrie was healthy, Cleveland probably wins. So Kyrie is earning his keep and has contributed to being a phenomenal player. We know what happens that second year. Bong. You know, the rest is history. He's one of the biggest shots in, in NBA history. And he is etched in the memory banks, right? He is immortalized with that one shot, with that that run in the NBA Finals. He was a part of the team that brought a championship to Cleveland. And that will never be forgotten. And then everything else just goes straight to hell after that. In, 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 a, in a moment where this young man should be celebrating and feeling himself and, and you know, basking in his own glory, for whatever reason, things just veer left and it goes left real quick. You know, he has the Uncle Drew stuff popping. He's got one of the best shoe lines. Everything's going well. One of the most popular players in the league. And then you hear the rumblings of him and LeBron butting heads. And I'm like, oh, okay. He took this mama mentality thing way too far. <laughs> you understand? Like, yo, for real? We could... Nah, I ain't gonna do that because y'all Kobe fans are nuts. But look, there is a legitimate argument about Kobe's influence on Kyrie and the friction that has followed him ever since. Like, once he hit that shot, man, all the stories of him working out with Kobe and this, that, and the third, and Little Mambas and all this, all this stuff starts circulating. And that could be late. That could have been happening well, well before the NBA Finals run. But after that, he's butted head with LeBron. He doesn't want to be called little brother. And, and you know, some of the media in Cleveland, they OD'd. I shoot, shot him some more bail, right? So, boom, withdrawal from the account again. I'll shoot him some bail. We all heard the interview where the person was asking him if LeBron is a father figure to him. And he's like, dog, I got a pops. I'd have responded the same way, too. Don't, don't tell me that one of my peers is my father figure when I had a father or currently have a father. Like, dog, what? Like, Bama's in the media, they, they do that well, way too much. Way too much. I remember one time uh, someone in the New York, uh, the beat writers for the Knicks, when J.R. Smith won six man of the year. And they were like, yo, Mike Woodson is like a father figure to you, right? And he's like, nah, I have a father. That's nasty. We're not going to go down that trip right now. But the assumption that so many of these players don't have father figures is nuts to me. But we're going to keep it moving because this is not what that topic is about. So Kyrie, you know, he starts to butt heads with LeBron. And I get that too because LeBron, LeBron's my favorite basketball player of all time. But I know that has to be hell playing alongside of him. I can understand that. And Kyrie did not sign up to be LeBron's running mate. That was just a kind of a, a perfect storm of events, if you will, that put him in that position. So boom, another withdrawal. Bop, bop, bop. I shoot him some little more bill. So then the Bama's like, yo, trade me or I'm going to go undergo surgery on this knee. And that's when I'm like, okay, you want some Bama shit for real now. Like, that is, an ultimatum that ends in trade me or I will undergo surgery should never happen, ever. But they do him a solid. They trade Obama to Boston. This Think about this. This is how little they valued Kyrie Irving. They traded him 
not only in the conference, but to a team that was loading up, whose GM, that entire organization for all of recent history has been loading up just to beat LeBron. So they trade him to that team. At that moment, you remember when the Eagles traded Donovan McNabb to Washington? And we all should have known at that moment, okay, something's up. You know what I'm saying? Like, ah, this ain't it. When the Patriots traded Drew Bledsoe to the Buffalo Bills. When teams do stuff like that, there's a reason. Especially the smart teams. And I guess you could question how smart Cleveland was. But David Griffin was the GM at that time, I believe. And he's a smart general manager. So that happens. And then Boston happens. And that first year, everything looks perfect. So I was like, yo, I, didn't, I wasn't even on that tip. I was like, you know what? Good for Kyrie. And I hate the Celtics, but I was happy for Kyrie because, again, I wasn't at this place yet. And a lot of people around me were telling me, man, Kyrie, he all talked, but he's not really with it. And I was like, no, I saw what Kyrie can do. And this is one of the areas where your talent will disguise all of the BS that comes along your way. How many of us can relate to this? The killer youngin. See the young and bad. Go ahead, boom, boom. Hey, what's up, Miss Lady? Boom, boom, boom. Can I have your phone number? Whatever, whatever. However, you kick it to her. You get to know her. Y'all start to link up. And she's so beautiful. But all your partners, maybe your sister, your homegirl, your best friend, your pops, your moms, everybody, like, yo, she ain't it. But you just so, because you so infatuated with how she looking, how she, you know, do her thing. You let all the baggage slip. And you ignore all of that stuff, right? Until drama's at your door for real. And that's what we saw every step of the way with Kyrie Irving. Boston was like, dog, <laughs> bye. <laughs> you understand? They didn't even they didn't want him back after all the mess he was going through last year. And again, I I even came on this show, this very show, and shot Kyrie Bell last year. This offseason even. It was like, yo, maybe everything that went wrong in Boston wasn't just Kyrie Irving's fault. And I went on this long diatribe about how Jalen Brown didn't take a step. Jason Tatum wasn't very good last season. So it was unfair to Kyrie Irving. I literally said this, shooting this man more bell. Yo, it's not fair to put all of this on Kyrie. That's what I said. Nah, Slim, I'm out. All of the bell is gone. This man compared himself to Dr. King. This is just days after he's saying, yo, we're going to have to make some moves if we want to be a championship contender. We need more pieces. And I'm thinking to myself, and y'all heard this now by now, bro, if you are as nice as you think you are, and everybody knows how nice KD is, what more do y'all need? Not to mention... You saying the core of our team is you, Kevin Durant, Dinwiddie, Lavert, DeAndre Jordan. I'm asking myself, okay, then how are y'all going to get this missing piece if you're going to keep all of them? If you're going to keep Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis Lavert, what major piece are you going to get? You know, everybody was focused on all oh, he didn't say Jaron Allen or Joe Harris. Nah, I don't care. You're not going to get a huge piece trading Joe Harris and Jared Allen. 
It's not gonna happen. So where's your brain at, brother? What like who's in your ear? None of this makes sense. And then he followed that up with the soundbite that we started this quarter with about Martin King. Man, the Kyrie Irving don't sit his ass down. I have no clue what is going on with him. None whatsoever. And now the Brooklyn Nets, they're looking around like, oh, damn. Durant, please come back. KD, he's not built for leadership. And I'm not saying this as a Knicks fan because I've, I've talked to you guys in the past about this. I want the Nets to succeed. When the New Jersey Nets were going to the finals, this was one of my favorite teams. I'm a, I'm a huge Jason Kidd fan. I'm not from New York, so I don't have that kind of angst toward the Nets like a lot of Knicks fans possibly do. But you've got to understand, they have to be feeling a way. They've just played like 44 games this season. He's missed a significant chunk of them, and they already have to deal with this. Like Kyrie Irving is an amazing talent when he has his the ball in his hands and he's shooting crossing bammers up finishing these miraculous type of shots pulling up anywhere from the gym it's fun to watch Kyrie Irving which is one of the reasons why I said I have no problem with him being among the leading vote getters in the Eastern Conference because he's fun his game is all-star game approved you feel me but keep him away from my team at all costs the juice is not worth the squeeze. He's the crazy youngin' that who who looks fire. Who has the fire? Killer. But she also was nuts. She gonna try to disrespect you. She gonna go through your phone. She gonna try to put all this stuff. No. <laughs> no. Kyrie is not worth all of that. You can deal with drama from some Bamas. Not Kyrie. Because like I said earlier in the quarter, I don't believe the coincidence. There's only so many times your team can continue to win without you before I start saying, hold on, Snow. Like the math's not adding up. And the math has beyond, has given me more error messages when it comes to Kyrie Irving in a long time. Like I'm late on this. A lot of y'all have been up on this. And shout out to y'all, bro. I'm late. I, I wear that hat. But I'm here now. And the account says 00.0. .0. No more bail for Kyrie Irving. All right, you all. You guys heard the horn. That means it is halftime on the quarterly report. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying the show thus far. We have two quarters left. But before we get to the second half and halftime, we have a little stoppage time here. And we have one question this week. This one comes from Bob from Bethesda. So shout out to Bob. You know what I'm saying? And Bob asks, or he says, I read your tweet this week where you said that John Wall is the greatest wizard of all time. You can't be serious, right? How do you not have Gilbert ahead of John? So Bob, shout out to you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for the email. I'm sorry, the tweet. And also thank you you know, for the follow as well. And, um, you know, I, I got some engagement on this tweet that I sent out over the weekend. Um, I'm not going to really get too deep into it in terms of where it came from. But basically, I was saying that John Wall is the greatest wizard, is at least my pick for being the greatest wizard of all time. I said wizard because some of you all were saying, oh, what about Wes Unseld and, 
Elvin Hayes. I'm not talking about Wizards franchise history. I'm just talking about players who have worn the name Wizard on their chest, right? So, basically, when you're talking about the greatest player to ever be named a Wizard, it's a two-man race, right? John Wall, Gilbert Arenas. Bradley Bill, phenomenal player. He's not in that on that level yet. I'm not sure if he'll ever get there, but, you know, I've been wrong about Brad before. But I think most people who pay attention to this team would agree is John V. Gill. And I go with John for a lot of reasons. Now, full disclosure, I'm a John Wall fan. I like John Wall's game. John Wall is fun. I am a fan of his game. I am. While I was a fan of Gilbert Arenas' game, I don't like Gil at all. I don't rock with that brother at all. So maybe I'm biased, right? Maybe my opinion on Gil is tainted. I don't believe so because I can give you, or at least I'm going to try to give you uh, my legit reasons as to why I think John Wall is better. Mainly, Gilbert Arenas won one playoff series his entire tenure in D.C., you know, for all the the game winners and for all the funny sound bites and my swag is phenomenal and all this other stuff, all the antics, good and bad, he won one playoff series. <laughs> now, to be fair, he also ran into LeBron James three times in a row. And if John Wall were to have run into LeBron James three times in a row, John Wall wouldn't have wins over the over LeBron's teams either. But it's also worth pointing out. And one of those losses to LeBron's Cavaliers, the first time, Gilbert Arenas, who was like an 84% free throw shooter, at home, missed not one, but two free throws. Clutch free throws. He missed both of them at home. So when we start talking about like kind of the legacy and the myth, the mythology of Gilbert Arenas, some of this stuff gets left to the side. We forget that they only won one playoff series. We forget that he choked in a home game versus LeBron James, who's making his playoff debut. Also, Gilbert was playing with not one, but two All-Stars. I'm thinking to myself, man, if John Wall was in his prime with two All-Stars, man, I think they make more than one Eastern Conference Championship. And I know they didn't make any during John's run. And I think... We all can agree if John doesn't hurt his wrist versus the Hawks, they probably get there. But whatever. They had a chance. He came back. They still didn't get the job done. If John is playing with two all-stars like Gil was, I have a hard time believing that they don't make multiple Eastern Conference championship runs. And then here's another thing that I think is important, Bob. Joe, look at where John had to take this team from and look where it went to. Like when, when Gil came... The Wizards, they were a laughing stock, but they weren't like the laughing stock they were after Gilbert left. I mean, Gilbert burned the whole house down, bro. Guns in the locker room, taking shits and shoes, right? And teammates' shoes, the whole locker room being a mess, him not listening to the training staff. People remember or forget when he was hurt, he was hurt because obviously Gerald Wallace crashed into his knee. But Gilbert didn't start that game. Gilbert came off the bench because I believe he just didn't show up to practice one game and Eddie Jordan benched him or he did something. Like, Gilbert was a malcontent. 
despite all of the talent and all of the fun memories, we can't erase that part of his legacy. And for all of those reasons, John having to literally resurrect the organization on his back, took the team to heights that it hadn't been in generations. And I know they didn't get to a conference championship, but man, this team was better than that team. And this team, the, the John Wall era team, was not nearly as talent, talented as that Gilbert Arenas' team. That's why I, I have to go John Wall being the greatest wizard ever. And I know a lot of y'all love Gil, and I get it, I get it. And look, maybe I'm wrong. If I am, hit me up, email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com, tweet at me at quarterlyshow. I want to hear from you guys. But based on all of that, remove my personal feelings aside, I don't know how anyone has Gil over John. But I'm open to hearing. So, Bob, thank you for the question or the the e or the tweet, excuse me. Um, but let me know what you think as well, bro. All right, guys. That was stoppage time. We're going to move on to halftime. And real quickly this week, man, halftime. I, I really didn't know exactly where I wanted to, to go with this this week because so much happened. So much happened. Talked about Kyrie Irving. Super Bowl is now penciled in Joe Burrow, the whole night. So many of these things were popping off day after day after day. And then Wednesday and Thursday happened. And I'm someone who does not like baseball at all. But I was the biggest baseball fan <laughs> Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon, whatever day that was, when the Astros were running like some type of espionage program. And little by little, all of this information just kept on coming out. Then Jessica Mendoza comes on ESPN, makes a fool out of herself. And then out of nowhere, Mike Trout. <laughs> Apparently, he's on HGH. All of this happened in like the span of 24 hours, and I was so enamored. I loved every second of it. Like, I want sports to take kind of, I want my sports to have all of these kind of mysteries and this kind of underbelly and i want all of it give it to me <laughs> give me it dog my favorite players on roids go for it dog just don't get caught i want front offices trying to sneak and i want all of it man remember the it was a reality show the mole early 2000s where like they had this like a mission it was like a reality tv show right but there was a person who was a mole and they trying to sabotage the whole plan that's what i want dog make sports fun Everybody takes sports so seriously. I want this guy to be nuts. And that's exactly what Major League Baseball gave us Thursday afternoon. But I was starting to think, man, this is a great unsolved mystery. Did the Astros, was Jose Altuve literally wearing a wire as he's crossing home plate? Dog, how phenomenal is that? But it got me thinking, what are some other sports unsolved mysteries and damn it where can i sign up to watch well you guys are in luck because we the crack research team here at the quarterly report we dug up some of the biggest mysteries in sports and if they were to ever make a show of it it may sound like this welcome to sports unsolved mysteries tonight we find out why 
despite being significantly richer than Tory Lanez and Tyga, why the hell LeBron James's hairpiece is far worse than his singing contemporaries? We call it the hair up there. Also, he was one of Alabama's star running backs and was taken with the top five pick in the NFL draft. But the simple question remains, what the fuck happened to Trent Richardson? We call it for Richardson or poor. And finally, the Houston Astros were caught cheating all up and down the MLB schedule for more than one season. So we have to ask, how in the world did they lose in the World Series this year to the Washington Nationals? All of those questions answered and more tonight on Sports Unsolved Mysteries. Honestly, man, how do you cheat and still lose? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The Bama should get punished for that alone. How do you cheat and lose? The Astros, yo, they they get they won the one World Series title. Then they go to the World Series this past season and lose to the Nets. And shout out to the Nets. This is no disrespect to them. But their manager, Davey Martinez, this Bama's don't even he doesn't even say runs. Oh man, you know, we lost six to two. We only scored six points. Slim. Dog. If you need to cheat to beat them, and then you still cheat and still lose, I'll kick all the Bamas out the league. <laughs> if you're going to cheat, bro, cheat right. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like, dog, come on. Uh, yo, this is, not only should you be punished, you should be shamed. <laughs> the Bamas lost cheating. I can't even understand. Dog, I salute to Bill Belichick. Yo, when Bill Belichick gets in his cheating bag, it's over. You're not beating them. Astros going to cheat and still lose. Dog, throw Houston all the way in the trash. I'm sorry. Bill O'Brien, James Harden, Mike D'Antoni, all of y'all Bama's got to go. Keep the strippers, okay? But everybody else, y'all, I don't know what's happening to y'all, bro. <laughs> Jose, the Bama's was wearing a mic. The Bama's is getting buzzed. <laughs> hey, I don't even know how this is possible. Hey, yo, my brain, I can understand. Not saying I condone it, but at least I can understand taking HGH steroids, right? Like, dog, let me hit the ball further. Like, what type of amateur operation were they running? These mamas are banging on trash cans. These mamas having microphones. Jose Altuve has to tell his teammates, Slim, don't take my jersey off because I might. What the hell kind of operation was going on? And they lost. <laughs> Yo. Hey, man. If you're from Houston, I'm sorry, bro, but y'all have to demand better. You have to demand better. You understand what I'm saying? Like, what are you doing? <sighs> In any event, man, that was my favorite baseball story probably ever. I don't know if it ever can be tops either. All right, but we're going to keep the show moving, man. The first half is in the books. We've made our halftime adjustments, and we're going to come out into the second half on a roll, starting off strong with a special guest this week, Miss Kelsey Nicole Nelson. All right, guys, I'm pleased to be joined this week by someone I've known for a few years now. You know, I remember when she was just a, a young intern coming in, and now she's a superstar making waves on your timeline, but also on sideline reporting as well. Miss Kelsey Nicole Nelson. Kelsey, 
Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. I'm excited to be here, even though you aged me a bit. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Don't do that because I said intern, intern. You feel me? So yeah, you still a pup. You know, you super young, much younger than me. Make sure you all follow Kelsey on Twitter, man. A really dope follow. She's at the real K Nelson. She is a reporter in the D.C. area, but also a professor at Duval College. So, you know, she's doing great stuff in front of the camera and in the industry, but also behind the scenes as well. So again, make sure you guys give her a follow on Twitter. And we're going to start, obviously, in the NFL. The Super Bowl matchup is set. The San Francisco 49ers are going to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. Unfortunately, this past Sunday, we didn't really get any, you know, great games. Uh, I think at halftime, both of those games, you kind of knew what time it was, despite the scores getting a little bit closer toward the fourth quarter in both matchups. But I think everyone is happy with the matchup, and we're going to start in Kansas City. You know, I'm running out of adjectives, and I think the entire sports world is as well. Just running out of ways to describe how great Patrick Mahomes is. The young man is phenomenal, and this is just his second season starting. He's already won an MVP. He's been to two AFC Championship games, and now he's making, um, he's taking, I should say, the Chiefs to the first Super Bowl in over half a century. When you look at Patrick Mahomes, and we've we've starting to get to the the hyperbole starting to come with him. I've seen a lot of people say that he's the greatest quarterback that they've ever seen. I'm going to pump the brakes on that just yet because he hasn't achieved anything thus far, but the trajectory is set. But that's my opinion on the matter. I want to know how do you assess Patrick Mahomes and do you think we're getting a little bit too carried away with the praise or has he earned it thus far? Patrick Mahomes is everything. I mean, he's basically the future of football. And I think what we see in Patrick is something that his sports agent, Lee Steinberg, saw early on because he knew the greatness uh, that Patrick Mahomes was going to exhibit. And I think in seeing him, Roger Goodell, in the front office of the NFL, they know the NFL's in good hands because, I mean, what, what can he not do? And I feel like every time we talk about, like, the MVP-worthy conversation, from now on, I feel like Patrick's name is going to be there. And remember the heartbreaker of the Chiefs last season, right, trying right. to get to the Super Bowl. But this year, finally, I feel like quarterbacks are measured by getting their teams to the promised land. And this year he delivered. And now the Chiefs finally, right, it's been almost three <laughs> years, and they're finally getting to that promised land. And some are saying, you know, they might can uh, win the big bowl game down in Miami. So I think Patrick is just – phenomenal and the scary thing about it Armand is that he's only going to get better we're talking about youth and being young he's young but he's only going to grow um and develop and I won't I won't say he's the greatest of all time yet but a baby Brady essentially Uh, but really we're seeing him kind of develop I think a little quicker than Brady when he was at the same age uh and Patrick yeah for sure I think people are getting a bit hyperbolic with the praise for Mahomes but the the point still remains um this is only his third year You know, he's already won an MVP. He's already led a team to the Super Bowl. And, you know, you made the 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 phrase baby Brady. I think at this point, I think everybody would be safe to to assume that you can pretty much just as long as he's healthy, you can pencil in Kansas City to at least an AFC championship appearance for like the, the, the the better part of a decade now. And that's. That's that's huge. And think about how big that is. I mean, it's always been the Patriots, right, when we think of right. the AFC. And now with Brady's future kind of up in arms, how perfect is this timing for Patrick Mahomes? And then right. how lucky are AFC fans? Because you've also got a young Lamar Jackson 
that is also only going to get better. And, of course, we all kind of wanted that Patrick Mahomes-Lamar Jackson showdown, which sure. I think would have gave us a better game. And there's, you know, two different style of quarterbacks that's still both great. And I'm really excited. I mean, Patrick really has a chance to bring Kansas City something that they've yearned for for a very long time. And to do it with Andy Reid, I mean, doesn't get any better. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Kelsey Nicole Nelson. She is a D.C. award-winning, excuse me, let me give you your credit. She's an award-winning reporter in the D.C. area, also a professor at Dural College. So she's doing her thing, making her mark in front of and behind the scenes. So make sure you guys follow her on Twitter. Again, The Real K Nelson. And we're going to make a real quick pivot to the NFC side of the uh, the aisle. Um, you know, in a day and age where we're told constantly, you need to score points to succeed. The running game is an archaic style. Uh, you need offense, offense, offense. Here come the San Francisco 49ers, and they are just bludgeoning their opponents with this smash mouth brand of football. I can't lie. It brings a smile to my face because we've been told constantly that in this era, you need a, an elite quarterback and you need to score X amount of points to win. San Francisco is doing that. I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo is elite, but they're scoring the points, but they're doing it in such a different way led by their running attack. So my question to you is, do you think they have enough with this style of play, this brand of of football in 2020, do they have enough to not only hang with the Chiefs Super Sunday, but ultimately come back home with the Vince Lombardi trophy? You know, I'm excited. I think we're all excited that it's the 49ers taking on the Chiefs instead of the Green Bay Packers because I don't think we would have gotten a fair Super Bowl being at the Super Bowl last year. We didn't get a fair Super Bowl last year with the Rams and Patriots, um, if you all remember that game. And I think Jimmy D, also another younger guy that continues to just grow and develop and has weapons around him. We talked about the running game. I mean, Tyreek Hill, I mean, you, you can't – And it's just the 49ers, I mean, what they have is just special. And then Richard Sherman and – is his story coming back? It just—it right. doesn't get any Debo Samuel. I mean, there's just Sanders. It's just so many people are mine that just all around the ball. Um, I think they make Jimmy G look great. And I, again, I think the 49ers have something special. You just talked about, you know, the hard hitting football, and I think they're kind of bringing that to the table. I don't think Jimmy D gets the same love uh, that Patrick right. Mahomes gets, of course. But I mean, Jerry Rice just talked about it the other day, and he basically called out Stephen A. Smith talking about how special. Uh, Jimmy D was and that the world needs to look out for them. So I'm excited to see the 49ers. And if you think about it, the last time we kind of got this excited about the 49ers was when they were back in the Super Bowl facing off against that Baltimore Ravens team back in 2013, right, down in New Orleans. And, of course, it was Colin Kaepernick. So for a while, the 49ers have been a bit silent. Um, And, of course, they were kind of the favorite this season since they kind of at first started off leading the league uh, before the Ravens took over and became the best team in the league. Um, but I'm excited for the 49ers. So I think it actually will be a good Super Bowl. So Super Bowl 54, I think everyone should be tuning into. Yo, I hope so, because last year's Super Bowl was trash. Oh, I... my gosh. It was horrible. <laughs> you know what? Matter of fact, I'm so glad you brought that up, because all game on Sunday, the NFL on Fox, they kept on talking about the 49ers past and, you know, the, the, the times they've gone to the Super Bowl. But they completely skipped over the last time they went to the Super Bowl, only because, in my opinion, Colin Kaepernick led them there. You know what I mean? People remember Cap's game versus the Packers. They skipped over all of that. And I was just thinking to myself, Slim, hold on, Joe. You can't act like it didn't happen. It it wasn't that long ago. You can't erase this man's legacy. So shout out to you for bringing that up. I had to. I mean, let's remember that Super Bowl was 
Super Bowl also had Beyonce. We weren't going to forget. She shut down the whole damn game. Yeah, like we're not going to forget that game. So I'm sorry, but I don't care how you feel about Colin Kaepernick. But he did his thing. And remember, the 49ers almost came back to take that Super Bowl Absolutely. from the Ravens. So that was one of the better Super Bowls uh, in recent memory. Once again, I'm pleased to have Kelsey Nicole Nelson joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Make sure you all follow her on Twitter. A really dope follow. She's at the Real K Nelson. She is an award-winning reporter in the D.C. area and a professor at Royal College. So, you know, doing major things all over the place, man. So shout out to you, Kelsey. And, you know, we talked about Conference Championship Sunday. But just a few days prior, there was another huge game on the gridiron of the college ranks I'm talking about. As the LSU Tigers, you know, they they put the, the cap on an amazing season. Some people are calling it the greatest season of a college football team ever. Um, unfortunately the days leading or the days following their victory over Clemson was completely dominated by Odell Beckham. Now I'm not going to lie. There were, you know, the, the, there was a lot of talk about, you know, he stole the shine from the team and I'm never one who falls in line with that type of train of thought, because I always feel like as you know, members of the media, we choose which topics we want to talk about. No one forced all these shows to talk about Odell Beckham, but each day was something else. So I didn't get mad at him for handing out the money. There was one thing. I didn't get mad at him for trying to post up Carl Malone. That's another thing. I didn't get mad at all of this stuff, all of because it just seemed like he was having fun. But just late each day, each moment, each hour felt like there was a new clip coming out of the, you know, out of New Orleans. And then, you know, we have the video of him smacking the security guard, police officer, what have you on the ass. And I'm just thinking to myself, all right, Slim, I, I just ran out of bail for him. Like I had defended Obel the whole time. Cause I thought, you know, yo, they're trying to manipulate a situation, but at some point he has to take accountability for his actions. My question to you is where do you fall regarding everything that happened when the national championship game regarding Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, my gosh. I feel like Odell was like full Bourbon Street mode <laughs> when we saw him at the game. I feel like it's kind of like one of those things where we're like, well, he was in New Orleans. Um, right. And it's sad kind of because Odell has kind of now been, you know, uh, he's been framed as kind of the bad boy of the For NFL, sure. right? Like, and, you know, sometimes rightfully so, sometimes unrightfully so. And so I think we're always, unfortunately, media is always looking for him to make a mistake. And so, of course, him giving the money out. We know it was real money. Alice, you can say it's fake money all they want. Right. We've all played Monopoly enough to know what fake money looks like. Um, <laughs> but already, you know, you're going against the NCAA. They're a huge powerhouse. And then, you know, your, the LSU was already questionable with their celebration, right? You have players smoking cigars in the locker room. Like, a lot of us are looking back at college like, wait, where was this when we were right, around? Right, for sure, for sure. <laughs> And then Odell joining in on this celebration. It just, it was bad. And look, I don't commit, I don't tell anyone. You should never smack anybody on the butt, especially if you do not know them. Um, but, you know, it was all fun and games, right? He was doing what athletes do. So, I mean, I think they took it a bit, a step further. But I really think uh, the police officials, our security guard, were just really trying to show him, you know, they're serious and that not Everything is fun and games. And let's be honest, after the season that the Cleveland Browns had, maybe he deserves to let off a little steam because uh, sure. things weren't so good in Cleveland. You know, you bring up a great point. And, you know, I think a lot of times people may not truly appreciate just the power of influence that the media has over all of us, whether we are working in the media or not. Um, just the way that they shape a narrative, right? I think Odell Beckham has, unfortunately for him, um, been the victim of this 
when you know he's 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 shaped and presented as this really really bad guy when oftentimes some of the stuff that he does is just silly or dumb and not not nearly as sinister as you know sometimes we we create the the narrative to be but and again that's the last amount of bail that i have for him because as a black man slim I've never in my wildest year dreams would even think about putting my hands on a cop or a security guard. I don't know what he was on. You don't do it. Yeah, you don't do that. I'm telling you. I think it was, again, I think the bourbon street got to him. I mean, we saw, <laughs> we saw I think I saw a picture of a guy like in a, <laughs> yeah. let me tell you, there's no place like that in the, in the USA. There was like a guy in a full, like he just had on a Speedo, Armand, a leopard like Speedo <laughs> and a tail and some slippers. So again, I will just, I will just say it was what happened in New Orleans probably hopefully meant to stay in new orleans but odell can't have that because of who he is so you know all the phones were always out recording and rolling and uh i feel bad for him but you know i think it'll be a learning moment i think he's kind of going through this um um ezekiel elliott kind of growing up phase right. uh you know and I, he'll learn but you know he's still a great player so love him or hate him he's true to himself and some people respect that some won't you know but he's him that's all we can ask for 100 percent, 100 percent once again, everyone, I am joined by my guest this week, Kelsey Nicole Nelson. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at the Real K Nelson. She's an award-winning reporter. She's also a professor at the Royal College. She does so much. Even this past MLK Day, man, it was really dope. While you know myself and I know a lot of you all were just relaxing on the holiday, she actually was, you know, taking in the actual spirit, right, in the essence of the holiday and giving back to the community as well. So again, check out her on Twitter. Really dope follows. You can talk about, or you can see just all the different things that she has going on. And I want to end our conversation, Kelsey, with this last topic. Um, and I know it's near and dear to your heart. NABJ is making its way to DC this summer. And, you know, I know a lot of my listeners already know about that, but here on the quarterly report, we kind of, we really focus on diversity, not just of appearance, but also of thought, you know what I mean? And it's really lacking, I talk about it all the time, on the D.C. airways as it pertains to sports content, radio or television. But I want to hear your kind of journey, your thoughts on the lack of diversity, particularly as it pertains to women and a black woman like yourself. Um, and if you can kind of tell the listeners, you know, aspiring journalists, especially you know, what NABJ has done for you and the tools that they provide and why people should sign up and come out to NABJ 2020 this summer in D.C. Sure. So I will say NABJ, the National Association of Black Journalists, it's truly a family that you get. And you said it. Unfortunately, there's not enough representation and diversity in much media um, across the country. And I feel like I'm reminded about this all the time. We just talked about the Super Bowl. I'm pretty sure last year, I was probably the only, if not one of a few, black women on Radio Row, just because, as you mentioned, there's not many of us um, in sports talk radio. Um, and so automatically, it's funny, everybody kind of automatically knew who I was uh, because right. I was the one. And I think NABJ kind of, it, it helps you learn to grow in those types of situations, um, how to interact with different uh, media norms, how to kind of overcome some hard challenges that you'll face as a minority 
um, in the media. And it's just a time to be real with each other. I mean, there's really no other time you can be around others who kind of look like you, who go through the same struggles. You cry together, you laugh together, you grow together, you come out stronger together. And that's what it's meant to me. Um, I feel like I kind of started getting involved after college. I wish I would have started earlier on when I was at the University of Maryland. But hey, never too late to join and start. And again, it just connects you with just some of your idols. Um, you know, you're hand in hand with the Rob Parkers of the world, the Jamel Hills, the Carrie Champions. Um, and you learn from them. And also they give you an opportunity to learn and grow. Last year I had the opportunity to sit on a panel with Angel Gray um, and Dennis uh, Scott, which was fabulous. It was well, a sports panel. It was fun. And we did the art of sideline reporting, you know. And that's something like in my wildest dreams, I'm sitting next to two people, you know, who I look up to in the industry. And here I am moderating uh, the panel, you know, it's just because NABJ believed I could do it and appreciated my work. And so that felt great. And, you know, from that, I've gotten so many more opportunities. You know, now I'm doing a podcast with the National Sports Media Association and so many other doors have opened. Um, and again, NABJ, I can truly thank uh, for that. So I highly recommend everybody get involved. The convention is the best time to really network um, and hopefully get a job. Some do leave with a job and it being in D.C., being the nation's capital, I think it's no better place to do it. And then the fun thing about this year is that it will be with the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, so Black and Brown Coalition, kind of coming together. And again, more opportunities, more ways to grow and learn. And, you know, I'm thankful. I'm on the sports task force. I help lead the mentoring program that we have. So I'm a mentee that's interning right now for USA Today. And it's just been fabulous to, again, you know, grow myself, but also be able to give back to the next generation of young journalists. Oh, very well. Okay. Shout out to you. You know what I'm saying? That's what's up. Hey, that was super professional. She did that giant. You could tell, you know what I'm talking about? It's, uh, it's the real deal. Hey, I don't even think I have to say more, but y'all know what time it is. Yo, NABJ, NBC, stop faking. Y'all know what time it is, man, so make sure y'all sign up, you know? it's it's There's really no reason for you not to do it this year at all. But uh, once again, everyone, I'm pleased and thankful to have Kelsey Nicole Nelson joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Make sure you guys follow her on Twitter. She's at the Real K Nelson. Kelsey, as always, appreciate your time. And um, look forward to the next time you coming back onto the show and uh, talking uh, sports with me on the Quarterly Report. You have a good one. Yes, I'd be delighted. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. All right, y'all. Three quarters are now in the books, so you know what that means. We have one quarter left, so let's finish up strong with our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. Hello. We're your new neighbor. Don't be alarmed. We're Negroes. Oh, man. Oh, that's too much bass in your voice. That scared white folks. You got to sound like them. We were wondering if we can borrow some brown sugar. Let me tell you something. Y'all do not understand. There's no way you could. The original Bad Boys is my favorite movie of all time. Like, Slip, I'm a parent, and I'm doing things completely different than the way my parents did with me. When I was nine, Slim, I had seen so many rated R movies. I had seen Richard Pryor tapes, Eddie Murphy tapes. Slim, it was like it didn't matter. I'm doing things a bit differently. You understand? I'm not nearly as progressive as my parents were, apparently. I'm not going to show my daughter these type of movies or whatever. She ain't seen a rated R movie ever. But I can't wait till she turned like 12 or 13 so I can sit down and watch Bad Boys with her. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to share these moments with her. That movie, I know it word for word. Since I since I saw Bad Boys when I was like in middle school, Slim, I had been all the way on it. Side note, I judge y'all Bamas. 
I have been judging y'all Bamas all weekend long because with the latest installment of the Bad Boys franchise, so many of y'all will just readily get online on the timeline or whatever. It was like, oh man, I've never seen any of the Bad Boys movies. Should I go see them first before I see the newest one? And I'm just thinking to myself, man, your parents must be the lamest bombers on the earth. If you are of age, of drinking age, and have never sat down and enjoyed the first Bad Boys, I don't even think I really want to talk to you for real. I'm dead ass. That was just a snippet, what we just heard, of the amazing masterpiece that is Bad Boys, the original one. But as much as I love the first one, Slim, I can't tell you how much I loathe the second one. Bad Boys 2 is literally the worst piece of cinematic film ever. I hate it. I hate it so much. Bad Boys 2, this is this tripped me out when I when I realized this, right? Bad Boys 1 came out in 1995. I believe the second one came out in 2003. Okay? It's been 17 years since the second one has come out. Like, the new one came out in 2020. It felt so much longer between the first and the second one than it did the second and third, although that's just not true. That tripped me out. But if you never saw Bad Boys 2, consider yourself lucky. I hate that movie so much. Shout out to my brother, Ian McCoy, man. We were talking on Twitter, and he, and like, he and I had never even talked about why we dislike this movie. But I just told everybody, I was like, Slim, I don't know if I want to see the third one because the second one wounded me so much. And just, boom, perfect reason, right? He was like, yo, them flying off to Cuba made no sense in the world. Hear me when I say this, right? The crescendo of this movie, and the movie is bad throughout, but the, the ending was just so dumb. The CIA, Coast Guard, and Miami police officers Flew to Cuba, <laughs> Cuba, to save one agent who just happened to be the sister of Martin's character. Slim, like, dog, like, my daughter knows how dumb that is. You feel me? But whatever. I was wounded. I came into the third movie. I, I really didn't, I didn't even know if I wanted to see it, but nostalgia, bro, like, what was it, Sci-Fi, the damn Paramount channel, or FX, one of them damn channels. Y'all know what it is. They were running the Bad Boy Marathon, right? Now, I love the original so much, I can't watch Bad Boys on television because so much of the beauty of that movie is the cursing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just perfectly curse words. It's placed amazing. So I saw it on and I was like, you know what, bet. I haven't seen the movie in a while. Let me go ahead dust off the old DVD and let me watch it. And I enjoyed the original Bad Boys this weekend. And I was like, Slim, I have to. It was almost like an obligation. So I, I threw on my, you know, God bless the dead, Cisco and Ebert music. I went to I went to a matinee and I went to the white neighborhoods because I knew it wasn't going to be that film. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's some movies that I know where I need to go. If it's a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie, I need to go to the hood because I don't like going to the movie theaters with a lot of people. I, I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm 37, dog. It's, I'm not with that anymore. But if, I, if it's a black movie that I want to see, 
Oh, Slim Rockville, baby, here I come. So that's exactly where I went, right? And true, sure enough, I was one of maybe five people in the, the theater to watch Bad Boys 3. And damn it, I got to tell you, bro, it's not, it's not nearly as good as the original. And maybe I'm grading on a curve, okay? Maybe this is true. But I enjoyed the giant. The storyline is so stupid, okay? Very, very stupid. Not nearly as dumb as the second one. And although the first, if, if you were trying to, if I was sitting here trying to explain to you the plot of the original Bad Boys, there will be certain times where I would have to take a pause and think to myself, I know this sounds stupid, but just, just follow me, right? But it was low scale. It wasn't like the third one, they traveling to Mexico and they got a witch. It's all types of stuff. I'm not going to get too much into it. Just in case you haven't seen it yet, I don't want to spoil it for you. But it, the jokes were funnier, right? And, you know, that's... <laughs> You got to turn your logic off a few times. You got to turn your logic off several times watching this film. But maybe because the second one was so bad, I enjoyed the third one that much more. Does that make sense? Right? The second one was so awful. Slim, if Bad Boys 2 was a person, I'd beat the dog shit out of it, bro. Slim, I'm talking about not just punches, man. I'm elbowing that down my knee and I'm in the ribs, Slim. Getting all that MMA stuff out of me. I can't stand Bad Boys 2. But Slim, just off the strength of the first one, I felt obligated to see the third one. And because Bad Boys 2 was so bad, I think I like Bad Boys 3 that much more. But I can't fake. There were funny moments. So, you know, I, I have to think of, uh, you know, my two thumbs up or whatever the case may be. You know what? It's called the quarterly report. So, you know what? I'm going to give it, you know, I'm going to give it two and a half quarters. You, you understand? So... What two and a half says so 50, 50, 50, so plus 12, so what 62 cents? Yeah, man, go ahead, go ahead, get your 62 cents worth, bro. That's that's how I'm judging these movies, man. I mean, shout out, God bless the day to Cisco and Ebert, man. But that's how I'm rocking when it comes to Bad Boys 3. Now, this is going to be a little bit of an awkward transition, but I'm still reviewing another film or docu-series, if you want to call it, that was released this past week. Much more on the sports angle of things. And, of course, I'm talking about the Aaron Hernandez documentary. You know, I, I, I sat back. I didn't I didn't even know. Dog, I'm so unplugged. I don't even know when some of this stuff comes out. But I heard so many people talking about the Aaron Hernandez doc. And I'm like, yo, how would y'all even know? Like, do they advertise this stuff? Maybe I'm just not on Netflix like that. But, you know, everybody was talking about this documentary. And I was like, okay, bet. Let me, let me give it a few days. Because, you know, y'all have the tendency to hype shit up. You know what I'm saying? So I, I have to really give things a few days to see if if it's if it lasts. Because we live in this microwave society now. But sure enough, the Aaron Hernandez doc lasted. So, my little mama, she was spending the night at her grandmother's house this past Saturday. So I was like, bet. You know, it was cold as all hell. That didn't even make any sense. It was colder than a, you know what outside. So I was like, bet Saturday I'm just gonna chill in. I'm gonna watch this documentary. Man, it was it was phenomenal. That's the best way I could say. I and then you know, there's certain people who I've heard certain criticisms about, you know, number one, the documentary was excusing his behavior. 
right? They, they, they like this was kind of a, a fluff piece to kind of make Aaron Hernandez come out in a more shining light. I don't know if I can rock with that. You know what I'm saying? I think the documentary, I think if we're going to be responsible, considering how young he was and how significant the CTE was to his head, that, that you have to you have to introduce that. That's not to say that it's the reason why he was killing people. But I don't think you could leave that out. You know what I mean? It would be journalistically irresponsible to do so, in my opinion. I didn't get the feeling that the the creators, the director of this docu-series was trying to excuse the behavior. But it was it's a complex issue. And we know we know so little about CTE that like introducing it and talking about it, but then also talking about how the how football, college football even, they talked about how they give these players, these young men oftentimes, these drugs, and don't think twice about it. We have no idea the spectrum. We don't know how deep this thing goes. So yeah. And look, I understand it's a tragedy. Odin Lloyd's family, they were taking those two other men. Their 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 those lives were taken. And at worst, Aaron Hernandez did all three of those killings. At the least, he was involved in two of them. He killed one man. We know that. And I'm just thinking to myself, yo, like, yeah, I feel awful. And I'm not I'm not sympathetic to Aaron Hernandez, but there is compassion there. You know what I'm saying? We live in such a different day and age now than we did just decades ago. Like when I was coming up, the way Bama's talked about alcoholism is completely different than the way we talk about it now because there's more information and I like to think that we as a society have progressed. We've done the same thing with depression and mental health. We're much more compassionate, I feel, when it comes to these type of matters. And with CTE, we know so little, so little. But we can see the damage. And I just think that, you know, just dismissing any type of information that may paint Aaron Hernandez in any type of sympathetic light, just dismissing it just because he's a murderer. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm not wired that way. Maybe I'm getting softer in my older age, but I thought they did a, a really good job at illustrating the, the, the psychological damages of his father passing, what football brought to the table, and then... And the third step, obviously, in the more scandalous, I guess, salacious part of the documentary was his sexuality. Now, I don't know. I'm watching this, and I was like, yo, is this just purely conjecture? I didn't know that, like, Aaron Hernandez's homosexuality, that was real. I thought those were just rumors. The documentary is speaking about things matter-of-factly. And then later, there was, there were, I guess there was some, something online that the high school quarterback they were saying that he actually wasn't the starter so then you start questioning how else how how truthful he is about everything and you know we heard the rumblings when he passed that there was a jailhouse lover 
and all these other things. But I just thought that those were rumors. I didn't know that was factual. And I really don't care about his sexuality. But I do think, and they did, the documentary did a really good job with this as well, having the other Patriot offensive lineman, excuse me, his name escapes me, but illustrating how difficult that must be for these individuals, man, these men who feel like they have to act a certain way to hide who they really are. That's not to excuse the behavior, just like the CTE isn't there to excuse the behavior. But it's, in my opinion, necessary um, necessary colors to paint an actual, an accurate portrait of the life of Aaron Hernandez. And I think it, I, I really was impressed at how they did it. Um, I felt like it, it didn't feel rushed, but I felt like they could have gotten another episode out of that. And maybe that's just me being selfish, me wanting another episode. But I... I couldn't I couldn't recommend that documentary more. Now again, I'm suspicious because everybody else seemingly knew that he was gay. Like factual, like, yo, yeah, that was stamped. I didn't know that to be a fact. I just thought that was kind of rumor mill, whatever, whatever. But I was thorough I thoroughly enjoyed the documentary. And if you are in or if you're kind of in between, like, man, should I watch it? Should I not? And my word carries any weight for you. I couldn't recommend it more. So we get the full dollar for that one. Four quarters, baby. A full dollar on the uh, Aaron Hernandez doc. Uh, and you get your 62 cents or whatever for Bad Boys 3. Look at me holding y'all down, baby. Man, there's nothing I won't do for y'all. And I appreciate you guys. I hope you are aware of it. So this is what I will do for you. How about you guys do this one thing for me? Head on over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and download and subscribe to the Quarterly Report Podcast. But even more important, leave me a review. Not the star review, but like write down something. Let me know. Let your friends know. Let the world know why you rock with the Quarterly Report Podcast. And if you don't mind on top of that, yeah, man, give me the five stars if you like. Or if it's one star, do whichever you feel you need to do. But just let me know how you love or how you feel about the podcast. All right? Once again, I want to thank my guest this week, Miss Kelsey Nicole Nelson. Awesome guest, awesome conversation we had with her. And of course, I want to thank you all for listening to me for this hour and a half or hour and change of a podcast. All right. Hope you all have a safe week. I hope you enjoyed your MLK day. And I'll see you back here next Tuesday for another episode of the Quarterly Report.